Welcome to Cloud Realities Live, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that could be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. I'm Shao Kizal. And I'm Rob Kernahan. And this week, we are in Barcelona for the Mobile World Congress 2024, hashtag MWC24, I think, online. Yeah. And it's the first time at this conference for us individually and us as a show. It is. And I think overwhelmed might be the word I'm thinking. It's massive. It huge is. Huge booths. I've never seen so many huge booths. This is obviously the conference of conferences. It, it feels like of the conference pyramid. This one might be the top, of the top conference pyramid. <laughs> Apart from Says, maybe. I, I think Consumer Says, Electronics. Yeah, exactly. I think it's probably the only one that's, that's as big as this. It feels like, at least the ones we've been to with this thing. And to give you a sense of it, the marketplace flows at things like reInvent and Google Next, they're big. And you, you have one giant room with a, a bunch of stalls in and of varying different sizes and configurations. At this one, I think there are four halls of marketplace. Is that right, Rob? You what? You went for a walk around a couple of them today, yeah, trying to find enough, the booth. I was uh, in hall three for quite some time, Dave. Yeah. Uh, based on your information, looking for our booth, and I couldn't find it. And then I had to ring you, and then I discovered you'd actually given me the wrong hall <laughs> We're number. We're in hall two. <laughs> 20 minutes later, I managed to find it. It's funny, though, isn't it? I was getting quite confused, though, walking around going, how hard can it be to find a big, massive booth? But it turns out, when you're in the wrong hall... Quite hard. Quite hard, yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, the booths are like multi-story, you know, kind of quite large footprint things. So even you can't even sort of gaze across the no, no. marketplace. They're all really you're high. basically just seeing... Like a lot of a lot of real estate. Shalk, what's your first impressions? Yeah, that it is that it is massive, and I see lots of people in suits. Slightly different there is vibe, a suit level. different yeah, vibe, yeah, 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 different yeah. vibe to the cloud yeah. conferences. Yeah, cloud conferences. Very different. There's yeah. more sandals, I think, at a cloud conference. Yes, yes. Or Crocs. <laughs> or or Crocs. Yeah, Crocs. Yeah, decent amount of Crocs. Or branded sneakers. Branded. Oh yes, now they all had branded sneakers yeah. last year, didn't they? That yeah, was yeah. a thing at reInvent last year. That was year. a really uh, thing. So we'll yeah. keep our eye out for that. So we're going to bring you. Um, our our kind of evolving views on what MWC is like, the big the big threads of the show, and we're gonna um, talk about the six topic areas across our six shows, just to give you a sense of what they are. Um, it's five G and beyond, connected everything, humanizing IT, manufacturing DX, which we assume is digital experience, game changes, and our digital DNA. So in each of the episodes across the week today, uh, this week, we're going to take one of those themes and we're lucky enough to have a guest join us or two guests to join us to talk about one of those themes that's specific to what they or their organization are doing. So we're looking forward to that. On today's episode, we're going to do uh, connecting everything. So to give you a sense of what that actually means and what the, what the show is trying to do with that thread, that according to... GSMA intelligence, by 2030, there'll be 6.3 billion unique mobile subscribers globally, with 5 billion global 5G connections. The industry is truly connecting everyone, but with the number of connected IoT devices set to reach over 15 billion in two years, connecting everything requires network solutions that are open, seamless, sustainable, and secure. Um, and a growing mobile ecosystem that needs to work together from the cloud and cloud hyperscalers all the way through to tower fiber companies and satellite providers. So like an enormous sort of ecosystem of connection. It's all converging as well, isn't it? So as it all comes out, I had to get it in, didn't I? I had to get Rob, that one in. we're five minutes <laughs> in. <the laughs> no, you say converged. <laughs> yeah. But it is literally 
uh, meshing together of all the technologies to create new exciting solutions. And and, and architectural plays across that. Yeah. So rather than it just being hey, one big sort of centralized thing up in the cloud that's connected in a relatively rudimentary way. This is almost like everything connected in every direction. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a mass complexity in how that's managed. Yeah. And so we see the rise of everything as software. So we heard the, you know, software will eat the world a decade ago. Yeah. And I think this is now the maturity curve and the realization of as that comes together, you can now manage this incre incredible complexity that's much right. more easily. So we've got a lot, a lot of threads to try and pull together across the week, and I'm delighted to say that uh, joining us in today's show, uh, we have two uh, great guests. First of all, to talk about Intelligent Edge and the potential of 5G networks, we've got Man uh, Manib Mizadudin, um, VP and GM uh, for Network and Edge at Intel. And then following uh, Manib, we've got um, uh, Anand Chazraska, the founder and CEO of Aria Networks. But first of all, we've got Manib. Manib. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. No, how's your conference been so far? Uh, busy. I started at eight. I've been going back to back, so it's. Well, if you do, don't fall asleep on the podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, no. It, Rob did that once. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If I start snoring, wake me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rob, Rob has mastered falling asleep in the office with his eyes open. You know, like cowboys. Oh wow! Nice. Yeah. Keep an eye on the cattle. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Somebody anyway. might actually believe that, Dave. That's the worrying thing. <laughs> I keep saying it Half often course, enough, yeah. Rob. <laughs> yeah, so how's your day been? Uh, busy. A lot of partners. We, we, at 6 a.m., we launched a platform uh, oh. this morning and uh, an Edge AI platform from Intel. So that's uh, very exciting. Well, and, we'll, uh, we'll yeah. certainly dig into that in, in course, a little while, course, I think. Yeah. But before we get in, uh, why don't you just tell everybody about yourself and, and your role? Sure. Uh, I lead uh, at Intel, the Network and Edge business unit. I lead all of the, the software portfolio. So I'm the general manager for all the software at Network and Edge. Amazing. So you can certainly help us try and pick our way through connecting everything as a topic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, so look, let's, let's dig in uh, and let's talk about where we are with Edge generally. So Edge has been something that we've probably been talking about in different languages like we've called it things like fog computing historically and low-lying cloud and then of course there's a preponderance of devices now around the edge that are getting more and more intelligent over time so somebody who lives and breathes it every day what's your take on where we are with it i was going to say the cutting edge of edge but that's yeah. probably a bit too yeah. far yeah. living on the edge yeah. living on the edge exactly there you go. yeah so what's it like no, we got to play the, the song right where's the song yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll break it to song a bit of bon jovi in the background yeah. um i no? would say aerosmith Aer oh aerosmith God, I, I was going to say come on Sorry. Okay. Yeah. um well um i would edge has been around and you know it's not anything new i would hmm. say early days you would say that was remote office, branch office, right, or right. I think was home office, branch office, whatever, hobo, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, home office, you know, it, it existed mm -hmm. and, and largely was trying to deliver corporate capabilities at the remote branches and stuff, stuff like that, right? right? So right. the evolution is over decades of, hey, we had this infrastructure, blah, and, you know, everything was sent around, um, call it client-server architecture, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and was like, oh, you got servers somewhere, and, and then I got you know clients that are accessing that, right. and evolved into, well, I would say cloud came about, and then it's just the edges are starting to become mobile devices and everything else, because you got connectivity everywhere, and cloud is supercompute. Um, so there's been an interesting evolution of what that form factor is, 
in parallel was, you know, hey, I got IoT, digitization at the edge. So a lot of cloud out and then edge in innovation happening. Mm but also innovation around different areas. Innovation on application delivery, platforms, mobile phones, you know, IoT devices, right. all types of you know, right. innovation, I call it edge-in, connectivity, you know, different like types hyper, of G. Hyper growth of that, of that type of device over the cost exactly. of the last five years. And I think the, the pendulum swing happens where you, you, know, you go to distributed computing, centralized computing, yeah, right. distributed again. Every time that pendulum swing happens, there's more and more innovation. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the new edge, where are we today? Yeah. I believe there has been explosion. Like there's been always the pendulum swing. There's a lot of data that gets generated. Mm -hmm. I would say in the last few years, uh, first as you know, we all got hit by COVID. Right. Yep. So everybody moved and worked from home. Suddenly, yep. all you know, central offices are empty, and everybody's home networks are getting you know, saturated. So how do you re-provision? So I, I live in Palo Alto in the Bay Area, which right. has got big campuses like you know, Meta, Google, everything. Mm -hmm. Massive offices with 30,000 employees kind of infrastructure, huge pipes. Right. Now right. doing diddly squat. Now sure. I live in the area and first few weeks was a really bad connection because yeah, they didn't expect yeah, yeah. me, my wife, my two kids all to be connected day, right. daytime. Right. So everything got reprovisioned. So what I'm getting at this edge evolved over the last four or five years where employees started to work remotely. Then you had businesses, retail, manufacturing, et cetera, going through now suddenly retail's going. You know, I wish a pipeline dream of curbside pickup because I was like, why would I do that? I'm, I drove all the way to the store. I'm just going to get in and pick it up. Uh, right. But now right. curbside pickup became a financial viability for the retailers because yeah, yeah. if they didn't provide that in social distancing, they shut down as a business. Yeah, that's right. So it's such innovations push people over the edge. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> you can't <laughs> load yourself. I can overloading all these terms, <laughs> yeah. but uh, to innovate at the edge, manufacturing is like less people, like almost 43% of manufacturing employees didn't show up, mm. which means they had to start driving automation. Right. So, and then transportation, logistics, they went to three, 3x capacity because now everybody's ordering milk and bread and eggs mm. online <laughs> through, yeah. through these things. So the phenomenal last few years of innovation right. and the amount of workloads starting from people moving to processes moving to the edge yeah, yeah. has exploded where it was not anymore just customer records or you know, remote access of central office. There was a lot of workloads happening at the edge. And then, and then across that, you know, workload shift you've also got the promise of 5g of course yeah. and what does you know it might seem relatively obvious but what does 5g really bring to it as somebody who's kind of frankly used 5g and it you know yeah feels to run slower than 4g most of the time certainly in the uk anyway yeah. so ultimately what's the promise of that I believe as, you know, of course, uh, going from, you know, different generation, generation, like as, you know, I've been there with 2G, 3G, 4G, yeah, right. 5G. I, uh, I think it was, the push has been largely about better connectivity, faster speed, yeah. better, you know, consumerish information. 5G starts getting into the realm of enterprise-like application overlays on top of connectivity. Mm. So why? But it, I guess the technology itself was set up for you know providing and dividing and slicing and giving different quality of service levels to different types of services, etc. Right. So it leans itself to say I can go beyond just you know one. You've got a lot of content. You know. How, how many hours do you spend on TikTok every day? <laughs> uh, you got content. How many hours? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I plead the fifth. 
<laughs> but you know, cloud gaming, all of that. So it's content yeah. delivery yeah. from a consumer perspective, but also the te technology leans itself to trying to drive different types of security envelopes and things like that. Again, I'll, because I picked up on the COVID thread, I'll give you an example there. It's like, oh, I got to have, you know, COVID shots taken in a tent in a parking lot. Right. Right. Or checks, or because that's what's happening. Yeah. Well, suddenly my electronic medical records are coming on a 5G network delivered. How secure is that? Yeah, right. Uh, right. Because you go through all kinds of you know regulations on delivery of electronic medical records. Mm. But now it's traversing that. Can I take a slice of that? Can I secure it? Can I give it all the you know healthcare requirements on data privacy and everything else? Mm. Can you do that? Not possible, right? So you suddenly start manifesting uh, new types of business requirements, security, data sovereignty issues, and apply it. You couldn't do it just on a bigger and fatter pipe. Yeah, right. You had needed more smarter technology to get there. And well, is, is there another point in there? I know it's not directly the point you're making, but is there an aspect here that intelligent edge devices also, you know, help resolve the latency problem that exists with the cloud? So you can have architectures now that are sort of staged across the the sort of main hyperscaler clouds as well as then on the edge. How, do, how does that pan out for you, do you yeah, think? Yeah, I would say um, an edge is broad terms. Mm -hmm. So you could start from your data center or core or you know go to the cloud. From the cloud, and there's multiple kind of glossary terms around this, yeah. near edge, far edge, far device, et cetera. Yeah, it's the yeah. proximity to the user. Right. And what's getting smart, what are the aggregation points, right? And you know we we were expressing like donuts, mm. donuts were <laughs> in the middle is the is the is the cloud, and as you move closer to the edge of the donuts, there's multiple aspects of aggregation and distribution. It sounds like uh, the Homer Simpson architectural approach. He likes I know. A, he likes a donut, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, of Co course he does. Coin that as well. But the donut is more capable all the way to the edge, isn't it? Right. So that's the thing, isn't it? When we used to be the core that was intelligent and the edge was a bit simpler. Yes. Now you can have inference at the edge and quite heavy lifting from a processing perspective. So um, you don't this mass distribution of compute is occurring as well at the same time. So yeah. we have a lot of software at the edge. It's not just collecting data; it's now processing it as well. Yeah. So when you when we have the, the uh, type of architectures we've been talking about with this massive explosion of intelligent devices at the edge, yeah. um, what kind of management platforms do you need for that situation? I think the big uh, you know there's several. Um, you got to think about how do I distribute infrastructure effectively at the edge. Right now, usually cloud and data center-like technologies, they are more concentrated on managing 100 data centers, right. 200 regions or zones, yeah. but highly dense yeah, yeah. because they'll have hundreds of thousands of workloads. Right. Whereas if you flip it to the edge now, you're talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of edges, but very light workload types. So you flip the infrastructure management and distribution, call it fleet management of this. Right. Uh, doesn't come out of the blue. It has to scale in a very different level. Right, yeah, yeah. Then how do you do application distribution where, again, these heavy data centers and cloud are set up for massive, you know, uh, call it ephemeral shrinking and growing of infrastructure, whereas, you know, intelligent edge is very fixed. Right. You either have a, a mobile phone or a device or you don't. It's not ephemeral. You suddenly don't do hopping. Connectivity, like you brought up before, if I'm, you know, traffic flowing through my LAN in a data center or within a cloud, no big deal. Whereas at the edge, you're struggling to get to the last mile. 
Right. Right. So right. the latency. So all those factors call it very simplistically what I articulated was compute network storage manageability and security. Mm -hmm. The last but not the least, because all your assets in a data center cloud are behind massive firewalls, physical security locations, etc. At the edge, it's completely zero trust. Right. Like it's in everybody accesses that. So along those five parameters, how do you go and manage? the edge extensively, the intelligent pieces going, now these devices, how much can you offload to the device itself? Mm. How do you onboard it securely? How do you then you know, run data? And what ends up happening, a major last factor is data management. Right, right. All this data being created, does it get processed the edge itself, or all that massive data gets shoveled back up to the cloud, where the trigger of the data management is basically a simple outcome? And and depending on how well you're connected, you can change those patterns Absolutely. as well, I'm assuming. So if you've yeah. got a really strong, good connection, then you might want to shift it. If not, and you have intermittent connectivity, more processing the edge can help a lot, can't it? Yeah, uh, what you're talking about is, and it's a difficult problem, I'd call workload placement. Yeah. Where do I place my workload? And you know, again, you know, having a, a healthy conversation over here, every vendor is biased on placing where to place a workload i.e. if I place it in the cloud, I'm going to make my most money as a hyperscaler. Yeah. If I place it in the data center, I'm going to make most money in that managed hosted data center. If I'm going to place it at the telco edge, I'm going to make most money on my connectivity. So uh, everybody has a biased view of where to place it, but ideally you want an unbiased view of saying, I want to place the workload where it delivers the big, best app service level objective, SLO. And that could be the, and it's not a fixed, it has to be dynamic. Like you just were pointing out, it's like I can move it closer to the edge when there's huge traffic and a lot of data, I don't want to have the bandwidth to do it. Or if it's just back end process, I can take it back to the, yeah. to the cloud. So dynamic workload placement between the core, the data center, the, da the cloud, the edge becomes an interesting and, problem to have. And that, that is a new paradigm for computing requires a different way of thinking, a different type of software approach. It requires different teams to work. It's, it's quite a big change considering what we've been used to where yeah. everything's been more centralized. Do you think organizations are starting to get a grip of the, the, the change? Because it feels like the mastery it's, it's, and the maturity is occurring. Yeah, it's still early days, right? Again, I, you know, I was giving, I was kind of, you know, laying Easter eggs along the way. Like client server architecture, like, you know, I'm old enough now like, to, to claim, right? So when I'm writing the application, when I was writing, I, I had to do socket programming. I'd, when I'm defining, my IT already had all the infrastructure in place. And they said, well, is your app a TCP socket or a UDP socket? Oh, you mean I got to hard code it? Yeah, you got to hard code it. I was like, okay, I'll code my application for that. Yeah. Basically, it was pre-designed yeah. for a client server architecture. Yeah. When you went to cloud computing, the promise is like, oh, no, don't worry about all of that. I got all the infrastructure covered, it's all ephemeral, but it's homogenous environment, I scale up and scale down as long as it's my fixed compute network storage platform that I run. Not your problem. In both those instances, the applications were defined around a compute fabric. Yeah. Wherever there have computes, server has the most compute, clients lightweight compute. Processing will happen there, so I got to connect to that. Cloud, oh, don't worry about it. You just need to collect to the cloud, the whole thing is around you know, ephemeral compute. When you come to the edge, an edge native, it's actually, the application model itself needs to switch over from- Needs to move uh, around. Move around it? because it's not around centers of compute pools. Is first, it actually have to change the app fabric to be more on a network fabric mm -hmm. because connectivity becomes more important. And then you could have a lightweight compute, highly distributed, but it, the app model needs to shift towards a network fabric model rather than a, a compute-centric model. 
Right. And it's a fundamental shift. Very significant, very significant. Um, Intel made an announcement this morning, I think. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, excited. It's my baby. Yeah. Uh, right, so we, we launched uh, our, um, you know, um, edge-native AI platform today, uh, this morning, uh, with a whole bunch of partners. Edge-native edge AI. AI platform. Ed- educate us a little bit on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so the, the concept being, hey, you need a, a software platform. We've been talking about software, right? So to deliver infrastructure, mm-hmm. applications, and AI models to the edge. Right. In a day zero, day one, day two kind of format. So infrastructure, how do you securely onboard in a zero um, trust environment, and then provision with zero touch, and then do telemetry remote, you know, break fix in that. Application, how do you build applications, usually built in the cloud or somewhere, mm-hmm. distributed effectively to the, like, you know, orchestrated at the edge, right. and then observe them at the edge to fix it. And third, AI model building and optimization, but also distributing AI models to the edge, orchestrating them, and observing them and lifecycling them. <laughs> Has been three different user types. IT doing the first part, DevOps doing the second part of the application, and data scientists trying to build AI models. Right. We've converging them all three into one single platform. So you can actually, you know, the cool thing is, do I get AI built by 100,000 AI data scientists, mm. or do I infuse building AI and distributing AI to the 25 million plus app developers. Right. So this platform right. actually infuses to the two workflows. And does it and does it run over multiple clouds? How do how Oh, absolutely. Is it like a layer? How does it actually function? So, uh, a partnership announcements where with because again this um, it was funny when you're talking about converging of all of these different things, right? right. So right. so at the edge we see the convergence of hyperscalers hmm. uh, because who got services in the cloud they want to push to the edge. Telcos, of course, who have the last mile coverage. You have OEMs who have all the hardware. And then you have ISVs who are building the applications themselves. And OSVs who have different operating systems, right? So, so it's a convergence of a whole set of call it cloud out providers, then to these actual edge in device providers like OT providers. Right. So at the announcement, we announced our partnerships on the CSP side with uh, both uh, AWS and Microsoft Azure. Uh-huh. OEMs uh, starting with Lenovo at the boot. Lenovo at the boot. They're demonstrating our software with their integration. Cool. Um, ISVs, a uh, small company called SAP, right? <laughs> right? Uh, partner Joint Solution. What do they do again? <laughs> uh, so SAP HANA distributed to all different industry verticals, but at the edge through this platform. Right. Uh, then telcos, of course, we're in a in a telco show. Uh, Verizon delivering that, along with uh, Red Hat, who's right. an OSV. Right. And, and then a whole range of uh, system integrators, ranging from you know Accenture, Capgemini, uh, Wipro, LTTS, who will deliver the so solution must, to market. You must have been working on this. I mean, given that level of... That's a lot of orchestration, isn't it, to get all that yeah. together? Yeah. Yeah, so how, how long have you been working on that now? Uh, I've been looking at the Edge for four years, wow. but Intel for the last year. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank congratulations you. on that. And uh, thanks again for making some time to come talk with us today. Absolutely. Now, we end every episode of the podcast by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next. And you, let's say maybe excited about doing in Barcelona next. So that could be something that's just fun or it could be something in your professional life. So what are you excited about doing next? Oh, I'm, I'm back here in summer. So I my daughter got scouted by, my younger daughter, 13 years old, got scouted by FC Barcelona oh, last wow. summer. Oh, wow. No, that we were nice. here in November and they've invited her back to represent uh, them for under 14 international girls tournament. 
Wow. Congratulations. That is ace. Congratulations. That's very significant. That might be one of the best answers we've had to that question. I think that's up there, isn't it? At the top, isn't it? That's a real cracker. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Anand uh, Chandrasekhar, founder and chief executive of Iria Networks. Anand, how are you? Thank you, Dave. Very welcome to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, we are, we're delighted to see you. Thanks for making the time. How's your conference been so far? Great. It's been a very busy conference uh, for us. Uh, we've been chock-a-block, top to bottom, which is what one would hope when you come to a conference like this. Ideal, so it's been it? great. Yeah. And is this, your, is this your first MWC? Are you an uh, old hand at veteran. this? Veteran. You, you look like a veteran, yeah, can look, I say? You've probably yeah, been yeah. here a number of these. I don't like the term veteran particularly, <laughs> but uh, I have been here multiple times. Right. Um, in my capacity as uh, founder and CEO of IRA, this is my second time around. Right. We were in stealth last year, uh, until last year. Last year was the first show that we actually showed our products, and this is our second year. And what, have you, what observations would you make about MWC over the years? Because what, what, what really surprised us, this is our first one as a show, but also as yep. individuals. And what really surprised us was that, that it, it's much more than a telecom show. It's like a full-on tech you know, exploration as much as it is a telecom show. That's, a, that's exactly right. Yeah. It, it is a full-on tech and exploration of tech which should not be entirely surprising mm. because if you think about uh, two of the things that improve uh, productivity of mankind, right? Transportation is one of them, communication is the other one. Right. So you would expect the show that is focused on communications to talk about all walks of how it might improve our productivity and lives, etc. There, right? there was an interesting article in the magazine they um, have here, they do a publication just for this event and it was talking about diversification of revenue and telco becoming the digital telco and we see a lot in other organizations in sectors sorry in other sectors business pivots Mm -hmm. they happen a lot and it appears to be this is starting to show the that pivot occurring with all the other vendors and organizations and gsis arriving and i think it now said 26 percent of telco revenue is from diversified streams so not about communication Mm-hmm. So they're starting to build, which is a really interesting thing. That the and the growth line is uh, trending up as well. So it's a big change occurring, which yeah. they defined as being a digital telco as opposed yeah. to just. Mm. Yeah. Which I thought was quite an interesting point that we're at a, an inflection in the um, industry. Completely. And and when you think about communications, you initially think about voice. Yeah. But these days, you don't think about voice at all. Right. Communications is entirely different thing. You're still communicating. It's video. It's audio. It's text. It's WhatsApp, it's chats, it's TikTok, but all of those are under the umbrella of communications. Right. Which, right. Uh, and if you can think, if you think about all of the changes that have happened, those are pivots. Those businesses, the businesses that serve us, have changed over the last thirty years. Yeah. Right. Um, For sure. Well, let's 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 dive in. Tell us first about um, Iron Networks. What are you, what are you guys doing? How long have you been around? What was, how did you how did you come to fa- what was the purpose in your fi- in the founding of the company? So Ira is Ira Technologies is a venture funded startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we formed the company uh, with a single vision, mm. and that's this: there's an enormous amount of data that's resident in the radio access networks, mm-hmm. the backbone, if you will, of the cellular infrastructure, right. right? And that data is not being fully tapped into, perhaps somewhere between 1% and 5% of that data is actually being utilized to drive further improvements in the stack, in the, in the uh, communications. And our view was you could apply machine learning and AI 
to actually mine insights from that data, apply those insights to improve the functionality of the telco networks and thereby improve performance, right? right? Now you might be wondering, why does that matter, right? Well, for the simple reason that today our cellular networks probably connect on the order of about billions of connections. Mm. And uh, in terms of, it's basically people getting connected to people. That's largely what these communications networks have been able to do. Mm. You're, that number is moving from billions to trillions, right? right? right. Now you might be wondering how there aren't trillion people on the planet. Mm. Right, there aren't. But there are things, and there are way more things than there are people. And those things are getting connected to things, and those things are getting connected to people, right? right. And right. so it, there's a, a paradigm shift occurring, to your point, a pivot occurring where the telco organizations have to learn to scale, do more with effectively what they have, dramatically more, because mm. that's about an uh, a order or two of magnitude different when you go from billions to trillions. Right. And the only way you can do that is by taking advantage of all the insight that is there in the network, but you're not taking advantage of it today. And that's where AI and ML comes in. So and IRA is, sorry, IRA is focused on effectively enabling that transformation to an AI ML world of telco to occur, right? Well, before we get into that, let's just actually take a step back and talk about RAN itself. It's a, it's sure. a, it's maybe a, it's maybe something that people who aren't very involved in the in the telecoms industry are unfamiliar with. So, give us a bit of background on what is RAN. So, RAN basically stands for Radio Access Network, right? So, every time um, I, my my cell phone is constantly pinging the base station. Base station is being pinged by all of our phones, all of our devices. That base station is part of the RAN. Mm. The radios that you see on towers um, around Barcelona or wherever, whichever city you happen to be in, mm -hmm. those radios are part of the RAN, right? So the way this works is the signal from my phone goes to the radio. The radio intercepts the signal. It's connected to a baseband of some sort. Right. And baseband then uh, converts the signals into some form of a message. That message then gets sent back uh, to the consumer wherever it was intended to be. That whole backbone is what is called the RAN, the I Radio see. Access Network, right? I see. Typically a telecommunications provider, about, um, I would say, 60% of their energy on an annualized basis probably is going into the RAN, hmm. what's the backbone of the network. About 40% is going in from what you might think of as traditional IT and things like that. But about 60% of the energy that's consumed in, in a tele, uh, telecom operator is going into the RAN. Does that help? It, that does help, that does help. And I think in terms of the, the RAN itself then and the technical evolution within, within RAN, just say a little bit about that because it seems to me that it's heading in the same direction as cloud when cloud created software-driven infrastructures and, and software-driven pipelines? It, it very much is, but it's not moving, I would say, as fast as perhaps the cloud did, right? right. Um, so cloud didn't occur overnight, right? Yeah. Uh, cloud effectively is, if you think about it, is uh, modern um, infrastructure computing, right? Mm. Before cloud existed, you thought of it as servers, right? Um, client server. Right, client right. being a PC or something, Indeed. right? Yeah, yeah. Before client servers, it was a mainframe. Exactly. Right? The epochs and are coming out. Epoch is, one and right? two. Yeah, we talk about this on the, the way show. we describe right, cloud. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Mainframe, like client server, cloud native. Oh, you the do three, talk the three about epochs. It. Yeah, yeah. Right. Three epochs. Like like now, if you think about mainframe and and uh, time frame, right? Mainframes were highly vertically organized, right? Meaning 
You could buy a mainframe from uh, IBM. Mm -hmm. You could buy a mainframe from digital, right? And if you wanted to buy a database management application, which was a lot of what people did in those days, mm -hmm. right? You can get it from IBM, right? But you cannot take the d database management system from IBM and run it on digital, right? right. Yeah. Interoperability was taboo, right? Not even it didn't happen, it was taboo, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that world went from being highly vertically integrated to horizontal, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when it became horizontal, you could in interoperate. An entire software industry blossomed on top of that, mm -hmm. and all of that software can run on anybody's server, right? Um, not just on one particular vendor server, right. right? And that went from there to cloud, if you will, right? Cloud is, to some degree, a revert like verticalization of, uh, uh, to some degree, but built on horizontal components, mm -hmm. right? Um, now, if I contrast that to the RAN, right? Um, and you talked about the three epochs, right? Um, uh, mainframe, client server, and then cloud. Yeah. If I compare those three epochs to the RAN, RAN is still stuck in the mainframe era. Right? right, okay. It's highly vertical, right? You can buy radio access equipment from Ericsson, or you can buy it from Nokia, right? But if you wanted to interoperate between the two, good luck. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, is that a challenge? Uh, Subtly. So, sounds yeah. like a market uh, opportunity. <laughs> it does. Challenge is putting in mildly. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? So, but there's this very strong desire to move from that verticalized world to a disaggregated world, mm. right? Yeah. And the motivations occur for several reasons. One, when you go from billions to trillions of connections, you need to be able to innovate much faster yeah. than what has happened, right? And that innovation can only be facilitated via a disaggregated world. I talked earlier about the applicability of AI and machine lear learning to really improve the performance of the network. To be able to do that, the experts in AI and ML aren't gonna be coming from three companies. They're gonna be coming from hundreds of companies right. all over the globe, much the same way the software world evolved between client server and, com and cloud computing. Mm -hmm. To be able to tap into those hundreds of companies, of which, by the way, IRA is one, right. to be able to tap into those, you have to have a disaggregated open uh, uh, RAN network so you can actually tap into that innovation that's occurring outside of the walls of three or four corporations. And, mm. and we talk a lot uh, in core software as uh, loosely coupled but highly cohesive, and it feels yeah. like this is the same thing, where at runtime, everything can interoperate yep. through codified structures that can be updated in real time as opposed to having this clunky re-plug it in, get somebody else's that's, software. That, that's, exactly, that's exactly correct. It's happened already in cloud. Yep. Uh, and if you go back to the three epochs, right? If you were living in Epoch 1 or if you found a person from Epoch 1, they would not be able to visualize Epoch Absolutely, 3, yeah. right? Yeah. But yeah. Epoch 3 exists, right? So can it happen in RAN? Yes. Is it going to be hard work and it'll take time? Yes. Do you think right. it will be, do you think the lessons learned in the three epochs of main compute will allow some form of leapfrogging to go on in the RAN world? Uh, it should, hmm. right? Because the lessons that did occur from uh, 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 mainframes to client server and cloud, there are direct lessons that apply Absolutely. in in the uh, in the random end. So it should. So let's then talk about um, what you guys are trying to do to to leverage AI and AI AI enabled thinking to impact the performance of RAN and 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 I guess to mine data from it to do interesting stuff. So tell us a little bit about that. How do you, how do you foresee that being something that ultimately is useful and improves performance. So, best way to do this, Dave, is by giving you an example sure. or two, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I'll give you two examples, right? Example one, um, your base stations, uh, for example, the, uh, that I said your phones connect to, right? Mm -hmm. 
We're connected to a base station here, uh, uh, probably something not too far away from the campus here, right? That we're all in the straight show. And the demographics that that base station has right now is going to represent that this is an extraordinarily busy conference. Right. Probably some 80,000 people, right? All interacting with that. And that creates a, a dense environment, lots of interference, et cetera, mm. right? That has a unique personality, right? And that personality can be understood by that base station, right? Now let's talk about a base station that maybe right at this point in time is sitting in the city of Barcelona, right? Mm -hmm. And let's take, for, for another example, maybe a base station that's sitting in the wine country of Priorat, right? Uh -huh. um, and the demographics and the personality of the three base stations I described are going to be completely different mm -hmm. because of the geography that they're in, uh, because of the people and the density that they're in, uh, etc. right? Right. But yet, the software running on those base stations, the algorithms that are run on those base stations are pretty much exactly the same, mm. right? Mm. Well, with machine learning right, and AI, each base station's personality can be identified, right? Uh, it takes a few uh, seconds, if you will, or minutes, but the machine learning blocks in a base station could recognize, ah, I'm sitting close to MWC, which is very popular, and looks like there's a lot of interference occurring here. I don't need to use my standard algorithms, I need to use something different. Right. Equally, the base station sitting in Priorat could recognize, I'm in, uh, uh, it won't know it's a vineyard, but it will know it's uh, the, the day uh, uh, spreads and the uh, signal to noise ratio, all of those will be different, mm. which will tell it, I'm in somewhat of a rural area, right? right. right. And, and that should have a very different personality from an algorithm standpoint. That's recognizable, right? AI is actually extraordinarily good at classifying uh, the kind of environments, right? Yeah. You can then use that classification to drive the selection of algorithms, and that then drives the improvement in the performance, right? So we've actually done that, and we have right. a demo right now running in one of the booths here, where we're able to show that if you can actually do that detection, you can improve spectral efficiency or throughput by a factor of 2x, right? right. That's not trivial, right? So as a, as a consumer, does that mean that my, basically my, my phone's going to run faster? It, it's two things. If you're, if you're like watching video and so on and so forth, your video will be much cleaner. Right. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing it will mean is on the edge of the network, right, your signal is not going to get dropped. Right. And you, your right. edge, the other, the other way, your edge moves out, I right? Because you might have a radio radius of, let's say, 100, uh, 100 is short. Let's say the radius is one kilometer. Well, if you're able to improve spectral efficiency, your, your radius is going to improve see. way more than that. So right? you get better quality of service. You get better quality of service for a much longer distance, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So, yeah. so that's, that's one example, right? Another example of uh, uh, using a, a machine learning in, and, uh, in a, a, a RAN environment is I'll use a, a very buzzy term, generative AI mm -hmm. and large language models, right? So generative AI or large language models are extraordinarily good at two things. They're really good at generating code, right? And they're really good at defining intent. You know, if you can ask it a question in English, it'll intuit from your question what you actually want it to do. That intent it can discover, right? What you can do, and this is another thing that we have done, right, is we use, um, we put a wrapper around a large language model, and the wrapper that we put around it is telco knowledge, telco expertise, mm -hmm. and then we use uh, for example, we enable 
uh, a, imagine you're a network expert mm -hmm. or network operator expert, but you're likely not a programmer, right? right? But you're trying to get information out of the network that helps you do your job, mm -hmm. which is troubleshoot, where is the most traffic occurring on my base stations? And can I shift some of that traffic from base station here to base station here, right? And that information to get at that is not the easiest thing to do, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, with, uh, say, what we're talk talking about, we call this product RANGPT. Right. With RANGPT, you can simply ask the question in English, saying, How, what's the performance of my network and which, which, which area of my network is the most congested? And by the way, can I alleviate it by shifting the traffic elsewhere? Right. I'm using simple English, and you can get to the answers. And that increase in accessibility to the information is pivotal in creating the curiosity that somebody might continue querying, get further and further, and then the ever-increasing optimization and efficiency can be configured in. And it's just about you almost cut the middle person out to convert the technical to the, the meaning. It does it for you, which is... Well, some... yes, eventually that could happen. Our view is the it makes the uh, experts in the middle a lot smarter yeah. and shrinks the time for them to do some of the, you just described an iterative process, right? And that iterative process could lend towards developing or providing a set of code, right? That you can run not just once, but multiple times when that scenario occurs, right? Mm. So in, in, in the scenario I'm describing, we're basically saying, you just have an assistant that helps you, make you makes your job a lot easier, potentially a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, right? absolutely. And you, you take the heavy lifting out and you make it much more about the detail that's important. Yes. Yeah. Which, right. which of course, is a, a, another development that it, that it shares with the world of cloud yeah. and how generative AI is being leveraged in cloud to do basically natural language execution. Exactly, right. So what this is, is a natural language interface hmm. to your telco RAN, right? And basically where before you needed two distinct sets of populations, a network expert that knew the network and a programming expert that knew programming and to be able to get to the solution, RANGPT combines the two into one, right? And now you can think of it as this is the assisted brain for either the network expert or for the coder. So what you what choose. I, what is interesting in that, though, is you talk about still being a little bit in the, the mainframe era, but you're using concepts and technology from Epoch 3 and applying it back to Epoch 1, That's which is will accelerate the pathway through, to, won't to, it? So you have learned correct. because you are, yeah, you no are essentially exactly applying right. new understanding. Exactly right. The analogy I use often is if I were Gulliver and went to sleep 40 years ago, which is about the time modern cellular communications came into being, <laughs> and then I happen to wake up today or this era, yeah. right? But magically all my communications theory knowledge that I had in my head stayed in my head during the time I was asleep, mm -hmm. and then I woke up and all of a sudden I became a cloud expert, you would do the RAN in a modern way yeah. right. using AI and ML rather than the way it's being done, right? So, Well, fantastic. Well, look, thanks for sharing that with us this afternoon, Anand. Um, I mean, a fascinating insight into what is going to have to go on within, within network infrastructures to be able to support the level of growth in, in uh, like, you know, radical increase of, of devices on network. That's so correct. That's thank correct. you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. I hope this was fun. It was, was good. It was great. Now, we end every episode of this podcast by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next, and particularly given we're at a conference, what you're excited about doing next in, in uh, MWC. Well, for us, it's basically seeing our babies come to life. 
the babies that we've been working on for the last several years. It's developing. like graduation. It's kind of like yeah, graduation, right. and uh, you want to see you want to see these babies go into the into the real world and grow up. So for us, that's what we're looking forward to. Well, wonderful. We wish you the best of luck with that. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So a huge thanks to our guests, Munib and Anand. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks also to our sound and editing wizards, Ben and Louis, our producer, Marcel, and of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and X, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan, and Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us, and please get in touch if you have any comments or ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you back in the MWC reality soon. <laughs>